welcome everybody. America Unhinged podcast. Give me that like, comment, share, subscribe. Whether you're a boy or a girl, Boys Town in person, just a phone call away. We'll relive problems and help you solve them. Call the Boys Town hotline toll free. 1-800-448-3000. A member of the Nebraska delegation for the singing of the national anthem. These were a very weird time. Very, very strange. Quite unhinged once we think about this. He was Obama before Obama, man. He really was. It is just yet another twist in a very bizarre case. Such a torturous experience for this mother. This is the America Unhinged podcast, the last video here before we get to some news articles. America's Most Wanted. For the last seven years, I've been investigating the cover-up of a child prostitution network centered in Nebraska. The guy who spearheaded the abduction of Johnny Gosh was affiliated with this ring. Hey, how you doing? Come on in. It's the Rolling Stone, Harper's, the Atlantic Monthly, Vanity Fair, the New York Times Magazine. Everybody uh, thought I was crazy. There are so many key players in this little trailer. We want to hear from all of them tonight. Outside of Sioux City, Iowa, for about 14 days. And then a man came from Colorado who they called the Colonel. Paid the kidnapping. That is Colonel Michael Aquino, head of Project Monarch, allegedly of the CIA. Pornography pictures, molesting other kids at gunpoint, like Paul did. Two years ago, a convicted child molester surfaced and said he helped kidnap Johnny. He told an incredible tale of an underground network of adults who kidnap and sell children for sex. 
Noreen decided to meet him face to face to confront the person who says he helped kidnap and sexually assault her son. Fanasi claims that an organized ring of pedophiles abducts children and forces them into a life of child pornography and prostitution, and that it happened to him. You know, they force you to do things, and, and they they photograph it, they, they film it. The whole purpose for that is to either blackmail you into staying with them or split your mind up so that you don't even remember who you are. The FBI has been informed as to everything that has come out of Benassi's mouth, and that was done by his attorney, John DeCamp. I submitted it to them. And John DeCamp is a modern American hero. They won't even communicate on it or talk to you or even reply. The reason the FBI won't discuss Benassi is that they feel he is an uncredible witness because of his role in a sex scandal that rocked Omaha. In 1989, <coughs> the Franklin Credit Union scandal burst into the headlines. Paul Benassi was one of the witnesses who made shocking allegations of child sexual abuse by some of <coughs> Omaha's most influential citizens. And with that, I would like to welcome you to Cosmic Radio tonight. Cosmic Radio, we have my absolute... Hey, what's up, KB Kisses? Nice to see you. This is my absolute favorite all-time conspiracy. This has true crime, has politics, it has threads all the way up through the elite, has people on the left side of the spectrum, on the right side of the spectrum. You get to see a lot of media manipulation in this case. But please give me that like, comment, share, subscribe. Go ahead and check out my podcast, America Unhinged Podcast on Spotify. Been kind of a little light there lately, but trying to get my YouTube channel back up and going. But the first part of this we're going to get into is the disappearance of Johnny Gosh. And this all started with the disappearance of a newspaper boy in 1982. He was abducted off the streets early one morning. And several people said they seen a couple of individuals in a van kidnap him, shove him into a van to never be seen again. And from there on out, the story gets crazier. There's different nefarious figures that come through and harass the mom, give the mom all kinds of crazy information. At the same time, we get a lot of verified weird political pedophilia, sex trafficking stuff. So there's a lot of threads to go into tonight. We can't hit them all in the depth that anybody would like to, but everybody knows that there's so many threads on this case you can go check it out for yourself but let's start with the disappearance of johnny gosh so he was born in november 12 1969 his birthday will come into play later once you start hitting these allegations of who he might be and if he's still around um he was a paperboy in west des moines iowa who disappeared without a trace between 6 and 7 a.m on september 5th 1982 he's presumed to have been kidnapped as of 2021, there have been no arrests made, and the case is now considered cold but remains open. His mother, Noreen Gosh, claimed that Johnny escaped from his captors and visited her with an unidentified man in March 1997. She claimed that her son told her that he had been the victim of a pedophile organization and had been cast aside when he was too old, but subsequently feared for his life and lived under an assumed identity, feeling it was not safe to return home. Gosh's father, John, divorced from Noreen since 1993, has publicly stated that he is not sure whether or not such a visit actually occurred. Many have also speculated that the visit did occur, but it was someone else pretending to be Johnny. Authorities have not located Gosh or confirmed Noreen Gosh's account, and his fate continues to be the subject of speculation, conspiracy theories, and dispute. 
The case received huge publicity in 2006 when his mother claimed to have found photographs on her doorstep depicting Gosh in captivity. Some of the photos received were claimed to be children from a case in Florida, but one boy in the photos was never identified. Noreen Gosh assists that boy is Johnny. Go ahead and leave your comments below. Discuss. Let's keep this conversation going tonight. Gosh's picture was among the first to be featured on milk cartons as part of a campaign to find missing children. So someday, on Sunday, September 5th, 1982, in the suburb of West Des Moines, Iowa, Johnny Gosh left home before dawn to begin his paper route. Although it was customary for Johnny to awaken his father to help with the route, the boy took only the family's miniature dachshund, Gretchen, with him that morning. Other paper carriers for the Des Moines Register would later report having seen Gosh at the paper drop, picking up his newspapers. It was the last sighting of Gosh that could be corroborated by multiple witnesses. A neighbor named Mike reported that he observed Gosh talking to a stocky man in a blue two-tone Ford Fairmont with Nebraska plates. Mike did not know what was discussed because he was observing from his bedroom window. As Gosh headed home, Mike noticed another man following Gosh. Another witness, John Rossi, saw a man in a blue car talking to Gosh and thought something was strange. He looked at the license plate but could not recall the plate number. He said, I'll keep hoping I'll wake up in the middle of the night and see that number on the license plate as distinctly as night and day. That hasn't happened. Rossi underwent hypnosis. I told police some of the numbers that the plate was from Warren County, Iowa. Here's a quick little aside. Do you guys believe in hypnosis? Go ahead and drop it in the comments below. I know there's been lots of cases where that's thought to have helped. John and Noreen Gosh, Johnny's parents, began receiving phone calls from neighbors along their son's route, complaining of undelivered newspapers. John performed a cursory search of the neighborhood around 6 a.m. He immediately found Johnny's wagon full of newspapers two blocks from their home. The Goshes immediately contacted the West Des Moines Police Department and reported Johnny's disappearance. Noreen, in her public statements and her book, Why Johnny Can't Come Home, has been critical of what she perceives as a slow reaction time from authorities under the policy at the time that Gosh could not be classified as a missing person until 72 hours had passed. By her estimation, the police did not arrive to take a report for a full 45 minutes. Initially, the police came to believe that Gosh was a runaway, but later they changed their statement and suggested that Gosh was kidnapped. They were unable to establish a viable motive. They turned up little evidence and arrested no suspects in connection with the case. A few months after September 1982 disappearance, Noreen Gosh has said her son was spotted in Oklahoma, where a boy yelled to a woman for help before being dragged off by two men. Over the years, several private investigators have assisted the Goshes with the search for their son. You guys might recognize some of these names right here. If you guys are real true crime fans, you recognize... I'm not sure if you recognize Jim Rothstein, but you should definitely recognize Ted Gunderson, retired chief of the Los Angeles FBI branch. In 1984, Gosh's photograph appeared alongside that of Juanita Rafaela Estevez on milk cards across America. They were the second and third abducted children to have their plights publicized in this way. The first was Eaton Pats, another very infamous missing child's case. Here they talk about a couple of other missing boys from the area. But right here, this is where we start to get into more of the depth of the connection between this case and this possible national pedophile ring. We want to start getting into it here. It's a long, slow burn, so please stick with me. I got plenty of sources, lots of videos to back me up. It's going to be primarily video and audio based tonight. So I got to hit some articles to get you guys, you know, a little bit of a backstory. 
So according to Noreen Gosh's account, she was awakened around 2.30 a.m. one morning in March 1997 by a knock at her apartment door. Waiting outside was Johnny Gosh, now 27, accompanied by an unidentified man. Gosh says she immediately recognized her son, who opened his shirt to reveal a birthmark on his chest. We talked about an hour or an hour and a half. He was with another man, but I have no idea who the person was. Johnny would look over to the other person for approval to speak, says Gosh. He didn't say where he was living or where he was going. In a 2005 interview, Gosh said, The night that he came here, he was wearing jeans and a shirt and had a coat on because it was March. It was cold and his hair was long. It was shoulder length and was straight and dyed black. After the visit, she had the FBI create a picture she says looks like Johnny. She self-published a book in 2000 called Why Johnny Can't Come Home. And right here, it says on September 1st, 2006, Gosh reported that she found photographs left at her front door, some of which she posted on her website. One color photo shows three boys bound and gagged. She claims that a black and white photo appears to show 12-year-old Johnny Gosh with his mouth gagged, his hands and feet tied, and an apparent human brand on his shoulder. A third photo shows a man, possibly dead, who may have something tied around his neck. Mrs. Gosh alleged the man was one of the, quote, perpetrators who molested my son, unquote. Gosh later said the first two photos had originated on a website featuring child pornography. So this shit's getting really dicey really quick. Just to give you guys a heads up right now, there's going to be some graphic depiction of sex acts. There's going to be some some uncomfortable discussion through some of these videos. John DeCamp, we have him in an interview with Alex Jones almost right after this. So on September 13th, an anonymous letter was mailed to Des Moines police. Gentlemen, someone has played a reprehensible joke on a grieving mother. The photo in question is not one of her son, but of three boys at Tampa, Florida, about 1979 to 1980, challenging each other to an escape contest. There's an investigation concerning that picture made by the Hillsborough County, Florida Sheriff's Office. No charges were filed and no wrongdoing was established. The lead detective on the case was named Zalva. This allegation should be an easy enough one to check out. Nelson Zalva, who worked for the Hillsborough County, Florida Sheriff's Office in the 1970s, said the details of the letter were true and adds that he also investigated the black and white in 1978 or 79. That was a quote before Gosh's disappearance. Quote, I interviewed the kids and they said there was no coercion or touching. I could never prove a, a crime, Zalva says. When asked for proof that this was indeed the same photo from the investigation nearly three decades prior, Zalva could not provide any. According to the documentary film Who Took Johnny 2014, only three boys in the pictures were identified by law enforcement, but not the one thought to be Johnny. Noreen Gosh still believes the picture is of her son. So we're going to read this last little bit right here, the Banasi allegations, because that's going to directly... Paul Banasi is the single thread between Johnny Gosh, the Franklin Credit Scandal, and Lawrence King. This is the main reason why we do this whole show, pretty much. But it's quite damning once you put it into light of everything that's happened since then, which is take a look at recent politics with Epstein himself, hanging himself in the prison cell. Craig Spence allegedly killed himself back in 1989. I shared that article with Mars Bars earlier. Like, a lot of these are the same playbooks. And we got to ask ourselves, is this the same operation that was handed to Jeffrey Epstein? Is this some kind of weird, sick blackmail amongst our elite, amongst our political organizations where they try to get dirt on each other and it ties into all this other weird stuff once in a while it bleeds into the mainstream and it hits the public consciousness 
I don't know. This is the creepiest case to me that I could think of to do for October. So I want to take a quick drink right here. Drop some comments right there. Go ahead and have a chat chance to chat with me for 30 seconds before I keep reading. After this, we're going to do some more video-based content, more video-based um, sources for sure. But I appreciate Mars Bars watching. I see KB watching right away. I have another mystery watcher. I'm not sure. I think he's on Twitch probably. I have a mystery watcher on Twitch that never comments. But uh, Hassan, if you're out there watching also, shout out to you, brother. All right. KB's here doing busy work. Awesome. Thank you so much. I love all your videos, everything you're doing on TikTok, by the way. This one is such a crazy, it hits all my, in case you guys are wonder, wondering why I'm fascinated by politics, I used to be a political science major. I got four years in until I realized it's all really sorted. It's really sick, money-based. There's no morality in it. Kind of you learn things too late, dropped out, you know, but about to get into these Benazi allegations a little bit more, and we got to see, we got to listen to my favorite intrepid reporter, Alex Jones. People hate this man, but I want to show you what they thought of him 20 years ago, how he was breaking real news. He was getting hate from Republicans for the most part back then, and it just shows you, I think his name has been really misaligned in the media. He's been at the forefront of a lot of things. All right, let's get this Cosmic Radio show back on the go. In 1989, 21-year-old Paul Bonazzi told a story to John DeCant, to Attorney Dodd, sorry, let me try this again. In 1989, 21-year-old Paul A. Bonazzi told his attorney, John DeCamp, they had been abducted into a sex ring with Gosh as a teenager and was forced to participate in Gosh's kidnapping. John DeCamp met with Benassi and believed he was telling the truth. Noreen later met him and said he told her things, quote, he could only know from talking with her son, unquote. He said that Johnny had a birthmark on his chest, a scar on his tongue, and a burn scar on his lower leg. Though a description of the birthmark had been widely circulated, information about the scars had not been made public. Benassi also described his stammer that Johnny had when he was upset. The FBI and local police do not believe that Benassi is a credible witness in the case and have not interviewed him. Benassi accused Republican Party activist and businessman Lawrence E. King Jr., born 1944. Apparently he's still alive. I tried to find out where he was living, but I couldn't find out his current address. But that was the gentleman you saw singing the national anthem at the Republican convention twice in 1984-1988, my birth year. Also served as director of the Franklin Credit Union in Omaha, Nebraska. And of running an underage prostitution ring and victimizing him since an early age. This is Paul Benazzi. In 1990, a county grand jury declined to charge King, finding the allegations to be, quote, a carefully crafted hoax, unquote. Paul Benazzi and Alicia Owen were indicted on state perjury charges, a federal grand jury also declined to indict anyone for child prostitution, but did not did return indictments against Owen for perjury and King for fraud related to the credit union. The latter, King, was accused of looting $40 million from the bank and was sentenced to 15 years of prison. 15 years of prison for $40 million sounds like a pretty sweet deal. 
The bank was shut down in November 1988 and was raided by the FBI, the IRS, and the NCUA. I think it's the National Creditors Unions Association. King was released from prison in April 2001. On February 27, 1999, the U.S. District Court of the District of Nebraska awarded Bonassi $1 million in compensatory damages or punitive damages. I would like to reiterate this again. On February 27, 1999, after King had been in prison for 13 years already, the U.S. District Court of the District of Nebraska awarded Bonassi $1 million in compensatory damages and punitive damages, Bonazzi has sued King, who failed to respond to the civil lawsuit. Thus, a default judgment was entered against King, who ceased his appeal attempt in early 2000. So, what an incredibly intriguing show so far, right? Like, what weird shit is possibly going on? I would like to introduce you guys to Alex Jones if you don't know him. He's the most canceled reporter on the internet next to Whitney Webb and Glenn Greenwald and some other folks you might have heard of. But this is him talking with John DeCamp, Papa Nazi's prosecutor. Not only that, so you know, John DeCamp was a state senator for Nebraska for years, for over 16 years. And he caught one of this case by the mother reaching out and just started investigating this on his own. Much of the internet archives that you can find are of John DeCamp interviewing people about this case for his book. And I have to say he's a real American hero. He took some advice on it. He said that they told him he had to go out and do it on his own. The mainstream media won't help you and won't report the story. You got to print the book. And he printed the book. He has a book called The Franklin Cover-Up and you could find it. People should go out there and buy it. This guy is a fucking national hero and he's a legit superstar in my book i love this guy i can't say enough about him here's his interview with alex jones from way back in the day from his central texas command center deep behind enemy lines the information war continues and now back to alex jones on the gcn radio network that's right right here in austin texas every month they're grabbing the equivalent of five first grade classrooms with child protective services no rights, no nothing, parents, it's just a total takeover. And the very people doing this here locally are involved in their own forms of wickedness, which is a whole other show. This stuff is prolific. It is, a, it is a cult of evil, and it's more widespread than you probably can imagine. Senator Kent, we were talking during the break, and um, you made the point about how this is this, you know, this, this, this new world and laugh. What, what do you mean by this new world? Well, you just talked about some of it. You just talked about some of it about five, six years ago on behalf of a family here that was just totally destroyed by, quote, protective services. I filed a class action suit against the, the, the entire system. And finally, since I was financing myself, I just couldn't keep it up. And they had unlimited lawyers on the other side. But I did bring out an awful, awful lot of things that uh, have sure proven up since then from the way they take kids, the way these your rights as a parent are pretty well destroyed. But I'm not going into that now. We can talk about that another day. Yeah, it's just such but, a horror. It's just a, a whole new world we live in from, I guess, uh, what I thought I grew up in here a long, long time ago, admittedly. And uh, I keep, I said to you, I said, well, it sure is a new, new world order, I think, or something like that. And then I realized it was uh, using the worn-out phrase that I guess uh, some people are really trying to implement. But anyway. 
Uh, continuing, you actually have the passages in your book out of the diary. And the well, I have, a, yeah, I have right here the diary. Do you want me to read a little? Okay. Now, understand that I didn't know that the thing was Bohemian Grove back then, nor did the kid when he was writing it. All he knew was he was taken to this place. Let me just read it. It'll take three minutes. Is that okay? Yeah, go ahead. I went in January. Now, this is Benassi, a kid named Paul Benassi writing this, and this is directly word for word from his, his uh, diary. I went in January of 84 on every trip. I was paid by men King knew for sex. In the summer of 84, sometime, I went to Dallas, Texas, and had sex with several men King knew in a hotel. I flew on YNR Airlines. By the way, that's a private airline or just private charter deal. And Cam Airlines, another private charter deal, normally for King. I never had much personally to do with King, only went where he told me to go. In or on July 26th, I went to Sacramento, California. King flew me out on a private plane from Epley Airfield, Omaha, to Denver, where we picked up Nicholas, a boy who was about 12 or 13. Then we flew to Vegas, to a desert strip, and drove into Las Vegas into some ranch and got something. Then flew on to Sacramento. We were picked up by a white limo and taken to a hotel. I don't remember the name of it. We, meaning Nicholas and I, were driven to an area that had big, big trees. It took about an hour to get there. There was a cage with a boy in it who was not wearing anything. Nicholas and I were given these Tarzan things to put around us and, and stuff like that. They told me to, I won't use the word, uh, blank the boy and stuff. In other words, have sex with him. At first I said no, and they held a gun to my uh, genitals, I'll use the word, and said do it or else lose them or something like that. I began doing it to the boy and stuff. And Nicholas had anal sex and stuff with him. We were told to blank him and stuff and beat on him. I didn't try to hurt him. We were told to put our blanks in his mouth and stuff and sit on the boy's blank and stuff, and they filmed it. We did this stuff to the boy for about 30 minutes or an hour when a man came in and kicked us and stuff in the genitals uh, and picked us up and threw us. He grabbed the boy and started blanking him and stuff. The man was about... I'm not sure how to say The man was about so many inches long, and the boy screamed and stuff, and the man was forcing his blank into the boil. I am sorry once again, but I think this is history that gets to be... This shit's still going on. We can't think this ended with Epstein. They put the boy on top of Nicholas, who was crying, and they were putting Nicholas' hands on the boy's blank. They put the boy on top of me and did the same thing. They then forced me to... My theory is this was headed off to Epstein. This whole operation. to make us do it. His blood was all over us. They made us kiss the boy's lips and do. Anyway, two other things. Then they made me do something I don't even want to even write, so I won't. After that, the men grabbed Nicholas and drug him off, screaming they put me up against a tree and put a gun to my head, but fired into the air. I heard another shot from somewhere, and then saw the man who killed the boy drag him like a toy. Everything, including when the men put the boy in a trunk, was filmed. The men took me with them, and we went up in a plane. I saw the bag the boy was in. We went over a very thick brush area with a clearing in it. Over the clearing, they dropped the boy. One said the men with the hoods would take care of the body for them. I didn't see Nicholas until that night at the hotel. He and I hugged and held each other for a long while. About two hours later, the men or Larry King came in and told us to go take a shower since we had only been hosed off at some guy's house. We took a shower together and then were told to put on the tires and things. After we were cleaned up and dressed in these things, we were told to put on short socks and a shirt and shoes and driven to a house where the men were at.
some others. Absolutely, yeah, Kay. Keep your children so close to you. Their toys and stay right there. This is the new world order. What do you want to do to your children? All right. That is the incomparable. And let's see. I think I promised you guys another news article, right? Let me check on my little itinerary here. Oh, no, we got another video really quick. We're going to hear from Paul Bonacci. This is Paul Bonacci and his arrival at this alleged Bohemian Grove, okay? And after this, we will discuss the Wikipedia definition of Bohemian Grove and get into some other shit. We'll keep talking about Bohemian Grove for the next 20, 30 minutes, and then we'll hit the Franklin scandal. We checked in, put all of our stuff in our room, and then Larry got on the phone and he called um, somebody and they told us they'd be there and they'd to pick us up and take us out to somewhere and hear the whole conversation. And then they, about a half hour later, to that came knocked on my door, knocked on the door of the room and stuff and went up and got into um, big stretch on the left, and then picked us up and we were out. And we drove about half hour, 45 minutes, and we drove outside the city limits, and we drove into a kind of a tree area. There's a lot of trees and stuff. Were you scared? No. You weren't scared? I wasn't scared because. I mean, I was, but I wasn't. I was scared until I got there. What about Nicholas? Was he scared? Yeah. Why didn't you guys leave? Why didn't you guys run? You had opportunities to leave, didn't you? Yeah. Why didn't you go tell a, tell somebody? I didn't know what was going on until we got there. Well, but I mean, when you... Okay, go ahead. Once we got there, we didn't know what was going on. We got there and they told us everything we Please give me that like, comment, share, subscribe. And I've already been, been out there. Keep commenting in the chat. Oh, three dozen times we got filming in movies, having separate guys with other boys and stuff. Same place? Same. Um, one time I was in the same place. Same producer? No. And I didn't think anything. Bad rocks, nothing ever had gone wrong before. Nothing like this anymore. And then they started this planning. And they started telling us what to say and what to do. Who would like what to say? This little tiny guy who gave us his lines and stuff. He said, The only thing you have to do is say what you feel. Right? He says, He wants to you know, look natural and look like so just go with what you feel. So I just want to, you know, get you guys filming out here. They gave us these things like um, Tarzan, of course, where they had him in the cage and stuff. Yeah, who in the cage? I can't. If there's any new viewers from TikTok, please comment. 
I've been trying to use this time. TikTok to promote these, matter. so let me know. Did anybody ever slap him and tell him to quit crying? And just fuck him along. Did he quit crying? And you start to him, and then I. Start talking to him. Tell him it's gonna be alright and that you know, nobody's gonna hurt him. Like I said, this has not been completely confirmed. But Nazis frequently cited and discussed when this case comes up, so. I think it's relevant. took him out of the cage and stuff and let him run. He was chasing down. How big of a kid were you? He said about cages of Bohemian Grove now. But when you say we, who are you talking about? Nicholas? Nicholas. And then I'm out of the cage. And how many people were present? It was me, Nicholas, the boy. I'm sure this is Gary Caridori interviewing him who was suicided during this investigation. Oh, we will talk about this. I grabbed his legs and then he grabbed his arms and just sort of kind of carried him back up, kind of dragging him. Was he kicking, screaming? He was kicking and screaming. What was he saying? Saying, please don't hurt me. Did you hurt him, Paul? Did you hurt him, Paul? What did you do to him, Paul? What do you think? Huh? I did not tell him to do What did they think to do Paul? That is the haunting testimony of Paul Bonazzi about Bohemian Grove. And let's just go ahead and talk really quick about the Bohemian Club on Wikipedia. I don't think it's too long of an article. But we also have a video go along with this where Alex Jones talks about the secrets of the Bohemian Club more in depth. So give him a shout out. Please check out America Unhinged podcast on Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn, Stitcher, other podcast platforms, podcastindex.org. I really, really support. They're all about free speech and never banning anybody. It's like straight coding, no fuckery. But this is this is the Bohemian Club club as described by wikipedia everybody's favorite mainstream source the bohemian club is a private club with two locations a city clubhouse in the union square district of san francisco california and the bohemia grove a retreat north of the city in sonoma county 
Founded in 1872 from a regular meeting of journalists, artists, and musicians, it soon began to accept businessmen and entrepreneurs as permanent members, as well as offering temporary membership to university presidents, notably Berkeley and Stanford, and military commanders who are serving in the San Francisco Bay Area. Today, the club has a membership of many local and global leaders, ranging from artists, musicians, to businessmen. So every year, the this is Bohemian Grove. Every year, the club hosts a two-week-long, three-weekends camp at Bohemian Grove, which is notable for its illustrious guest list and its eclectic cremation of care ceremony, which mockily burns care, the normal woes of life, with grand pageantry, pyrotechnics, and brilliant costumes, all done at the edge of a lake and at the base of a 40-foot stone owl statue, actually made of concrete. In addition to that ceremony, devised by co-founder James F. Bauman in 1881, there are also two outdoor performances, dramatic and comedic plays, often with elaborate set design and orchestral accompaniment. The more elaborate of the two is the Grove play, or hijinks. The more ribald is called lojinks. More often than not, the productions are original creations of the associate members, but active participation of hundreds of members of all backgrounds is traditional. So history, bohemianism. In New York City and other American metropolises in the late 1850s, groups of young culture journalists flourished as self-described bohemians until the American Civil War broke them up and set them out as war correspondents. During the war, reporters began to assume the title bohemian and newspapermen in general took up the moniker. Bohemia became synonymous with Newspaper writer, California journalist Bret Hart first wrote as the Bohemian in the Golden Area in the Golden Era in 1861, with this persona taking part in many satirical doings. Hart describes San Francisco as a sort of Bohemia of the West. Mark Twain called himself and poet Charles Warren Stoddard Bohemians in 1867. The Bohemian Club was originally formed in April 1872 by and for journalists who wished to promote a fraternal connection among men who enjoy the arts. Michael Henry DeYoung, proprietor of the San Francisco Chronicle, provided this description of the formation in a 1915 interview. The Bohemian Club was organized at the Chronicle office by Tommy Newcomb, Sutherland, Dan O'Connell, Harry Dam, Jay Lyman, and others who were members of the staff. The boys wanted a place where they could get together after work. They took a room on Sacramento Street below Kearney. That was the start of the Bohemian Club. It was not an unmixed blessing for the Chronicle because the boys would go there sometimes when they should have reported at the office. Very often when Daniel Cannell sat down to a good dinner there, he would forget they had a pocket full of notes for an important story. So it's also argued that Mark Twain actually formed this group. But let's go to that's like a milk toast description of it. All the rural leaders are part of this. Richard Nixon, William Randolph Hearst, major military contractors, members of the Federal Reserve, oil companies, utilities, national media. The club motto is weaving spiders do not come here. Or I'm sorry. Weaving spiders come not here. And line taken from Act 2, Scene 2, Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream. And to get you get you more filled in on the subject, here is Alex Jones with 
dark secrets inside Bohemian Grove shared by Sage Rastafari UE5. But please give it that like, comment, share, subscribe. Hello, I'm Alex Jones. I'm a radio and television host based in Austin, Texas. And for many years, I've been exposing the criminal activities of the global elite, also known as the New World Order. In my research, I come, well, eye to eye with something that's even hard for me to believe. And that's that the elite, again, the so-called establishment teams, uh, those that know best, the visions of the anointed ones, are obsessed with the occult, from presidents to governors to the heads of industry. You see, for over 120 plus years in Northern California, in Sonoma County, on a 2,700 acre secluded redwood grove, leaders from around the world, prime ministers, chancellors, presidents, governors, again, the heads of industry, banking, academia, the media, Hollywood, only a select few, a little over 2,000 people, travel there to engage in bizarre, ancient, Canaanite, Luciferian, Babylon, mystery religion ceremonies. And uh, I successfully infiltrated through the Secret Service, uh, through the guards, through the Sonoma County Sheriff's Department. We were inside four hours. That's only one day out of the two weeks that they meet there for the admitted summer fire festival of the Bohemian Club. I hope that our hidden cameras uh, can give you at least a small piece of what I witnessed. Stand that these bizarre activities have been engaged in. Going back hey everybody to listening on the America Unhinged podcast, I love you guys so much. Thank you for being loyal. The on the West Coast. Presidents from Howard Taft to Herbert Hoover were on the membership roster. Not to mention later... Famous war general Dwight D. Eisenhower, later to become president. The roster of the Bohemian Club reads like a who's who of the elite. Look at this photo taken inside the Grove back in 1963. There you'll see Ronald Reagan. And sitting two people over from him, later to become president, Richard Milhouse Nixon, Bush Sr., documented member. And then, of course, there's his son. Now, the last four generations of Bushes have also attended the Skull and Bone Society at Yale, well known to be steeped in the occult. Then there's Bill Clinton, a frequent attendee. Upon closer inspection, the entire federal government at the highest levels is infested with Bohemian Club members, and it doesn't stop there. America's private run-for-profit Federal Reserve Bank from its very inception in 1913, has been run by prominent members of the Bohemian Club. Central Bank Chairman Alan Greenspan was seen leaving the Bohemian Grove only one month before he was appointed Chairman of the Federal Reserve. He had to be a made man. You're looking at an illustration from a November 1989 issue of Spy Magazine. The writer's spin is obvious. Sure, they're elitist. Sure, they have some bizarre rituals. But what's the big deal? They're just having fun. How you doing, sir? Okay. Cam Seeker? Yeah. Oh. I'm Alex Jones. I make documentaries. Uh, I'm just curious. Uh, what do you think about Bohemian Grove? I used to work there. You used to work there? Yeah. And now you work at Camp Meeker. 
No, I don't work. Yeah, I live in Camp Meeker. Oh, you live there? Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, did you ever watch The Cremation of Care? Um, no. No. What'd you do? At the, I just I just worked there. But, I mean, yeah. you, you never saw him. I damn near lost my no, mind no. when Epstein oh, actually yeah, got arrested. Like, I'd <laughs> okay. known about that shit for so long before he actually got what was coming. Then when he actually died in jail, it just blew my fucking mind. The long history of men enjoying themselves has even been written about in the gossip column of the San Francisco Chronicle, writing that a man on his own often gets invited back to the camp by gay bohemians. So I'm going to go ahead and like pause this right here, because you're really touching, actually. I'm going to go ahead and cut to like a little solo monologue right here, KB, because you're hitting at a great, great point. Depends on what you believe in, right? Depends on what you really think. But why are the elite obsessed with children and dark stuff? Like, what is up with that? Why can't you just have money and be normal? It's at a certain point, it can never be enough, right? Like, once you have $10 million, you really don't have any need to get like $100 million or a billion. But they also get dirt on each other. These politicians and these governments and these political parties, they all run sex operations. Like, I'm not even joking. They all, coming from a political science major, former political science, I was a college dropout, dropped out my senior year in college. Like, they really do run these operations routinely. You saw this in the mob and the FBI. You saw this with Kennedy and the mob and the CIA. Probably why he got killed. Lincoln probably got assassinated by some dark secret societies. Like, this is what happens. You're running into some different kind of dark things once you come into this. But in terms of the pedophilia and the sex trafficking, like, I'm... I'm starting to more believe in dark magic more than ever. Like that the ancient elite, Babylonia, Greece, obviously a certain thread of our politicians in the United States, the royal family, they all are into the sick shit. And I don't really, I don't understand. I don't understand it either, KB, but you asked a really great question. I just wanted to give a little monologue right there because I got to have some original content in on this, you know, at some point. But let's go ahead. Let's keep this going. Let's keep this going, shall we? Even 100-year-old annals have admitted the homosexual activities. After escaping the sheriff's department, Mike and I traveled high into the hills to wait until dark and the beginning of the cremation of care ceremony. First off, I wanted to draw your attention to the program that was given out to the spectators or the viewers, I guess... An occultist would call them novices. Figure of a human body burning in the flames. In fact, I've shown it uh, to people that are experts in anatomy, to actual doctors, and they say that the anatomical size is that of a baby or small child. Lefty Lucy is watching. Thank you for chatting in. I think you're a first-time viewer. Torso, but... That is the ribs. That's what they're exactly doing in this, this ceremony. Is from the program itself given out to the establishment lackeys witnessing the sinister activities. Remember, in Babylon and Tyre, they would throw their children into fiery pits. Look at the size of the hands compared to the rest of the body. Only children show these anatomical details. After about ten more minutes of music, suddenly, all around the owl, activity began. Here is the main central part of the ritual. 
under these friendly trees. So shall we burn thee once again this night, flames that beat thine empty. We shall read the sign, Midsummer sets us free. He shall burn me once again. <laughs> so now for me, flame, which hither ye have fought from regions where I reign, ye fools and priests. I spit upon your fire! Wow! Prince of all mortal wisdom, Power of Bohemia, we beseech thee, grant us thy counsel. Ladies and gentlemen, when you see that black edge coming in, that was the field from the camera. Uh, there you see the funeral pyre burning uh, with the effigy of a human, or it could be real, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there's been a lot of strange going-ons in that area of Northern California. But this is what the establishment is into. Thank you guys all for joining, uh, right joining in. in. Republican Lefty Democrat, Lucy, you thank you for checking it out tonight. Awesome. Team. Ladies and gentlemen, it's called world government, the new world order, dehumanization. It's not a joke. It's deadly serious. Unfortunately, they've been breeding societies to think everything's a joke. I'm here to tell you truth is stranger than fiction. All right, here we go. That was our little Bohemian Club segment. We got through the Johnny Gosh part of it. Here's an article I want to get to before we hit another video from the incomparable Nick Bryant. If you guys don't know who Nick Bryant is, he is the guy who wrote the preeminent book on this. He's the expert. Check out Nick Bryant, Franklin Credit Scandal, 
We're going to watch an 11 minute video on him right after I get this article from Veterans Today. I thought this was a really cool source. This is like a veterans. This is. I wish I knew more. KB's chiming in about my grandpops, but I wish I knew more about it. And I kind of don't. He kind of wasn't a great person and he had some sentiments and my family is dealing with some trauma through my mother and her side of the family. It's a fucking mess. Just, just to completely be honest, this is something I don't want to get into, but I should, and I'm a little bit buzzed. That's why I'm addressing it directly to YouTube's, but we got to get to the veterans today article, getting back into this. I get really distracted sometimes, but we're going to go ahead and talk about the Franklin scandal through this lens. This is a military newspaper board from April 30th of this year. So they kind of just want to keep it in the news a little bit, right? It says pedophilia and the GOP, the history of Lawrence E. King Jr. Overachiever. And I want to cut through this article a little bit. By the way, tonight, directly after this, we're going to have a one-hour watch party of the banned documentary from the United States, Conspiracy of Silence, from 1994. We will watch that in its entirety in a separate stream. So once this hits end, keep another eye out for this watch party on Cosmic Radio. It has this same thumbnail as the as the thing. So we're going to just watch it. I won't talk. And we're going to – it's been pieced together through uh, various VHS and digital files because it got destroyed. So we, we – yeah, we'll see the real documentary afterwards. This is by Michael Hughes. Lawrence E. King had his humble beginnings on September 7th, 1944. Who would have believed that just 40 years later, Larry, as he was affectionately known, would be singing the national anthem at the Republican National Convention – a feat he would repeat just four years later in 1988. The son of a black small businessman in Omaha, Nebraska, Larry showed early ambition and a willingness to work. Only 14 years old, he was an errand boy, errand boy lugging ice and garbage for the renowned Blackstone Hotel. Be the age of 16, Larry became a full-fledged waiter and soon served diners at the Blackstone's famous Orleans Room. Not content with merely earning money, Larry also took a lively interest in the arts. He took voice lessons that was featured in many Central High School musical productions. In a newspaper interview regarding his mix of roles, Larry remarked, I once played God. Larry continued to study voice at the University of Nebraska and considered a professional scene career, but his very practical father influenced Larry to seek a degree in business administration. But Larry put his patriotism first. He joined the U.S. Air Force, where he served honorably for a full four-year term. While still on active duty, he managed to complete a B.A. by attending night classes at Kellogg University in Battle Creek. He returned to his hometown full of hopes and dreams. He was quoted as saying, quote, I always had a feeling that God put me on Earth for a special purpose, unquote. Larry found his purpose upon return from the service. Larry considered becoming a Presbyterian minister is quoted as saying, quote, I think it has some qualities that would have suited the ministry, unquote. And, quote, I wanted to serve people, and I also enjoyed raising funds, unquote. The lad took a job in the management training program at the First National Bank. It proved to be a providential choice when he accepted the challenge of taking over the management of failing savings alone at the age of only 25. Mr. King soon gained national attention, but became best known 
as the miracle worker who helped save the Franklin Community Federal Credit Union. It was a tiny saving loan catering to the needs of the black and poor community. The thrift was on the brink of collapse and received an ultimatum from regulatory officials. Larry was an impressive man, tall, good-looking, a melodious voice, and oodles of charm. He used that charm effectively and appealed to big-time businessmen and dignitaries to buy bonds and certificates of deposits to prop up the failing bank. Larry soon became an integral part of that society, providing them with well-catered parties and part-time workers. With a thrift back to solvency, King turned his attention to the food service business. He began with the catering business, learned from his father, and then gradually expanded into upscale restaurants and supper clubs. He enjoyed a partnership in Alaska, a wine and sushi bar, catering to the yuppies and elite of Omaha. As yet another restaurant was under construction, Larry intimated, I want it to be an elegant place. Waiters will well Waiters will wear white dinner jackets. He was most often seen greeting customers and browsing with the cream of local society at Cleopatra's, a supper club featuring name entertainment. As his celebrity grew, Larry still found time for the little people. He was often seen in his yellow convertible picking up children at nearby Boys Town, famous in its own right and a big depositor in the new and the now solvent savings alone. Other times, Larry found other times found Larry tending to the needs of street people and cast off use. He often employed them and also found them part-time work with the city's luminaries, often as helpful guests at various parties. It is only natural that this ambitious achiever would also turn his attention to politics. At first, his liberal tendencies led him to provide support for the Democratic Party and a favorite of mine, George McGovern. Larry became the chairman of Black Democrats in Nebraska. It was just as natural that a rising star would hitch himself to the grand old party. Larry switched, providing this explanation, quote, To me, it's very logical. If every Black is a Democrat, they can easily take us for granted, unquote. And, quote, I believe very much in the hand-up philosophy rather than the Hand out, unquote. Judging Larry by his successes, it was a wise decision. As a Republican, Larry not only rose quickly in the ranks, but also enjoyed attention and influence at the highest levels. He was on the planning committee for the National Black Republican Celebrity Gala held in Washington before the inauguration of President Reagan and Vice President Bush. Larry also became vice chairman of National Black Republicans. It is no wonder he was known to hobnob with men from the highest levels of government. He sang at functions for Reagan and also VP Bush. It is also no wonder he soon found an expedient to lease a home on Embassy Row and found a D.C. restaurant called Prince's Palace. As his fortunes improved, Larry adopted the kind of lavish lifestyle befitting his situation. He adopted a more impressive wardrobe, bought a new Mercedes, and constructed a home in the exclusive Polka Hills where he lived on the heavily wooded 26-acre plot. Of the location, he said, It's wonderful to live with nature. This is where I relax. With thriving business and homes in both Nebraska and Washington, D.C., and a habit of throwing big catered parties for luminaries in both areas, it was soon necessary to fly in chartered jets. Not wishing to seem shabby among such friends, Larry also purchased appropriate jewelry and fine watches. Unfortunately, 
Larry's ostentatious lifestyle caught the attention of the Eternal Revenue Service. The mean-spirited IRS agents notified additional federal agencies. Eventually, Larry found himself charged with appropriating about $40 million for his own use. Despite pleading his innocence, Larry was convicted on various charges of bank fraud and served 10 to 15 year sentence in federal prison, the last four in a minimum security federal prison camp. The time of his conviction, Larry was still an active member of the local Presbyterian church. Had Larry just flown too high? Let's try to see if there's anything else here I really wanted to talk about. Right here, I wanted... This is the last part I want to get to, and then we'll get to some more videos, and we'll start to round it out for the night. we still got another hour to go, so you know. This is going to be like a really long podcast, so you guys listening on Spotify, go be in for a treat. This is the article from Veterans Today, still. King had been a very conservative, powerful, influential member of the National Republican Party. He had been appointed, quote, chairperson for the black voters, unquote, for the 1984 Republican National Reagan slash Bush presidential reelection campaign and, quote, chairmanship of the National Black Republican Council Development Committee for Fundraising, unquote. He sang the national anthem of the 1984 and 88 Republican National Conventions. King also chaired the Council of Minority Americans a nonprofit group that sponsored a $100,000 gala at the 1988 Republican Convention in New Orleans. The host committee included former President Gerald Ford, Alexander Haig, and Jack Kemp. A 10-minute videotape featuring King and Jack Kemp urging blacks to vote for George Bush Sr. was shown at the gala. By the way, I did my absolute best to find that video, and I could not find that clip. I could not find that clip. They tried to scrub it off the internet. I searched on DuckDuckGo and Chrome. It's pretty incredible. King was also in charge of the Franklin Credit Union in Omaha. He was alleged to have operated a cowboy business in partnership with Harold Anderson. So every time you hear a cowboy, that is like, like, this is kind of controversial, but this is the term they used for running really young, underage boys as a prostitution ring. But they use the term cowboy to try to differentiate it from normal prostitution and not make it seem the same thing. So this is like almost like okay because it was okay for gay men to use it. And I, a little bit controversial take, but. They really did. I don't know how to describe that. They really did use that term callboy the same way they use escort. Like escort you use for legal prostitution, basically. And they use the term callboy for legal boy sex back then. And they got away with it because of the times. Isn't that crazy? Like, isn't that an insane fact? I can't be the only one thinking this. Like, it's so insane that the way of thinking back 30, 40 years ago was like this. Harold Anderson, the then publisher of the Omaha Herald, among many others. In 1987, he donated $25,350 to Citizens for America, an organization that arranged speaking tours around the country for Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North. Oh, we know that guy for the Iran-Contra affair. The National Security Council, the middle of Iran-Contra scandal, and CIA crack cocaine trafficking in America. In 1988, federal authorities closed the Franklin Community Credit Union for investigation and mass theft, embezzlement, misappropriation, and pillage of approximately $40 million. Larry King was in the middle of a national and international organized crime syndicate. 
engaged in not only pedophilia, but pornography, drugs, money laundering, CIA, MK Ultra, espionage, and the occult. Nebraska Senate Investigating Committee also found that over 100 children, some as young as 10 years old, could testify to an internationally operating satanic cult slash sex slash drug ring directly linked to the black Republican conservative compatriot child victims of King's cult slash sex slash drug ring charged him with participation in at least one satanic ritual murder of a child and direction of satanic rituals. Marine Gosh says they use these kids to sexually compromise politicians or anyone else they wish to have control of. On February 5th, 1999, in the U.S. District Court in Lincoln, Nebraska, Pavanasi claims in a lawsuit that he had been ritualistically abused by Lawrence E. King as part of a nationwide pedophile ring linked to powerful political figures in Washington and to elements of the U.S. military and intelligence establishment. On February 27, 1999, Judge Warren K. Erbord ordered King to pay $1 million in damages to Bonazzi. What Bonazzi's attorney, John DeCamp, author of the Franklin Credit Scandal, said was a clear signal the evidence presented was credible. So we got to go ahead and get to this video, right? Inside the Franklin Credit Scandal with Nick Bryant. I'm going to give you guys a break from my voice and let you guys watch 10 minutes of this. How's that? One of the grimmest and most disturbing examples of heinous crimes, institutional corruption and abuse of political power is said to have occurred back in the mid, late, mid to late 1980s in the heartland of America. And it is known as the Franklin conspiracy or the Franklin cover-up. The conspiracy involved a child pedophilia ring allegedly involving prominent politicians and business leaders in the Omaha, Nebraska area with ties leading all the way to some of the most powerful circles in Washington, D.C., Journalist Nick Bryan has been following and studying this tragic, mysterious, and controversial case for over a decade and wrote a book entitled The Franklin Scandal about his investigation. Sean Stone recently sat down with Bryan and asked him to briefly outline some of his findings. The Franklin Scandal is about an interstate pedophile network that flew children from coast to coast and pandered them to very rich and powerful individuals. And there was a house in Washington, D.C., where a lot of the children were flown to. And, um, and then at, in the house in Washington, D.C., there would be like pedophilic parties, pedophilic orgies. And this house was wired for audiovisual blackmail by a CIA asset named Craig Spence. So ultimately what happened with the Franklin scandal is the Nebraska Senate found out about Lawrence E. King, who was one of the pimps in this pedophile network and started to dig into this and investigate it. And what happened was the state and both the federal government just came after the senators really, really hard. There was a, a, a couple of corrupt grand juries that said that there wasn't a pedophile network. The uh, lead investigator of the Senate subcommittee, his plane mysteriously broke up in midair and he was killed, his son was killed after he'd allegedly uncovered some critical evidence to uncover this pedophile network. So 
it was a big scandal in the late 80s. And according to a Nebraska senator, he was told that if you followed the breadcrumbs, it would lead to the highest levels of the Republican Party. Now, are you referring to John DeCamp when he said that line? No, I'm referring to uh, Lauren Schmidt. Because, um, yeah, John DeCamp didn't, uh, he had really nothing to do with the, the Senate subcommittee. He was um, uh, just kind of, his, I, I can tell you about his role. Well, later yeah, later. so I will get into the John DeCamp question. Yeah. I think because John DeCamp's book on the Franklin scandal itself, uh, the Franklin cover-up, I believe it was called, was elucidating because John himself was a former uh, Phoenix operative, if I understand, within basically within the CIA apparatus in Vietnam, right? He was involved with the Phoenix program, working for William Colby, who became CIA director thereafter. So DeCamp is not an uninformed person to have then investigated this in Nebraska and come up with that first book, which I think inspired some of your research and work. Um, John DeCamp's book inspired me to go out to Nebraska and check it out. Same with Conspiracy of Silence. Conspiracy of Silence was a documentary that was going to be shown on the Discovery Channel in the UK. And it's uh, funny when suddenly the plug was pulled on it. And it was elucidating the Franklin scandal. And it was going to be air, it was going to air in 1995 or 1996. And the Discovery Channel just quashed it so, and it's floating around the internet now. It's kind of become an internet phenomena. It's, uh, there's a lot of people that have watched Conspiracy of Silence and have watched uh, some other things on the internet. And then ultimately, they've read either John DeCamp's book or, or my book on the Franklin scandal. Mm-hmm. So again, so in terms of your investigation, you basically followed up where the, the Senate subcommittee ultimately left off because there were no charges brought against uh, people like Lawrence King on the pedophile matter, correct? Yes, I had uh, Gary Caridori, who I mentioned previously, he was the investigator for the Senate subcommittee and he died mysteriously. And I managed to acquire all his investigative reports and all his investigative documentation. I had a list of over 60 victims and it was up to me to put it all together. I drove around the country looking for victims. And these kids were very, very hard to find. Well, now they're they're young adults, but a lot of them came from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and they were uh, turned on to drugs. That was a big carrot for these pedophilic pimps was give the kid drugs. And then, uh, so they were turned on to drugs and repeatedly molested. And ultimately when they reached a point of where they weren't marketable anymore. They were expunged by the network. So basically what you have is someone who's from a dysfunctional background who has a lot of psychological problems and then they're drug addicts too, or a lot of them are drug addicts and they end up committing felonies. So they they were very difficult to find. They don't use their social security number too often. Absolutely. Well, one of the more famous cases, I think, was uh, Johnny Gosh. And there's been a recent film that you helped produce on who, on the question of who kidnapped Johnny Gosh because he was the poster child, the first uh, milk carton kid, if I'm correct. And he basically disappeared in the 1980s. And it turns out that he seems to have been trafficked into the same Nebraska pedophile ring, no? Yes. Uh, Paul Manassi, uh, who was one of the kids that was enmeshed in this pedophile network, said that he helped abduct Johnny Gosh. And there's some corroborating evidence that suggests that Paul Manassi did, in fact, help object Johnny Gosh, and he was the first child to appear on a milk carton. And um, 
I helped produce a documentary that looked at his abduction and how the police completely dropped the ball on the investigation because Paul Benassi came forward in the early 1990s. And I think if uh, the police and the FBI had given him any credibility whatsoever, um, they could have probably found Johnny Gosh. But because the FBI was so concerned about covering up Lawrence King's pedophile network, they couldn't give Paul Benassi any credibility. So ultimately, any leads that were gleaned from Paul Benassi were completely ignored by law enforcement. So now what levels, I mean, you mentioned previously that uh, essentially these kids were brought to Washington, D.C. for certain pedophile parties. What level could you discern this actually led, went to as far as political power? I mean, Lawrence King is not someone who's known. For the America people, Unhinged podcast listeners on Spotify, this is Russia Today. Absolutely. In my investigation, um, watching Senator the Hawks. Schmidt, who headed the Franklin Committee, as I said earlier, was told that this uh, a caller told him not to pursue this investigation because it would go to the upper echelons of the Republican Party. And in my investigation, I've seen that uh, it does go to the upper echelons of the Republican Party. And there's also a number of high ranking Democrats, too. But if one steps back and they look at the power that was deployed to cover this up. OK, you had the Department of Justice in Nebraska. You had a hijack grand jury in Nebraska, a, a hijack state grand jury, and then you had a hijack federal grand jury. And then in Washington, D.C., you had the Department of Justice and the Secret Service and also another hijack grand jury. So you've got strings being pulled from the pinnacle of power to orchestrate this cover up. And, and the fact that there's so many people involved in this cover up really shows just how transcontinental this pedophile network was. Now, around the same time in the late 80s, if I'm correct, there was a it was actually before it was at the end of near the end of uh, Reagan's term. The Washington Times had a story, a famous story about um, basically a homosexual escort ring that was being led into the White House after hours. Um, is there any indication that this because obviously homosexuality and pedophilia are two different issues. But is there any connection? between this story that broke and the pedophile rings that were that were known to operate? Yes. The Washington Times articles were boring into this story. They were born into Craig Spence. Craig Spence had the house in Washington, D.C. Here we go. We're getting into the next part of my show. Occurred and he would Segway. Uh, male prostitutes and, according to some people, underage uh, prostitutes into the White House for midnight tours. And the person who had to take the fall for that, Craig Spence died under mysterious conditions like a lot of people in the Franklin scandal. But the person who ultimately took the fall for it ran an escort service, a gay escort service. His name was Henry Vincent. And he and I wrote a book called Confessions of a DC Madam in which he gets into dealing with Craig Spence and Larry King. And, and Come how on, people. It was and how malevolent this they were. This is Epstein. And they pressured this is him Jeffrey Epstein. to uh, acquire children for them. And he it's the same to do operation. That. And he also gets into uh, how he came across Craig Spencer. They just changed it from firsthand. young boys to young girls because they somehow think it's that, more palatable uh, right now. His house was fitted with a lot of blackmail equipment. So there was. got to be like, kidding me. Definitely blackmailing upper echelon people in the Reagan and Bush administrations, and also senators and uh, congressmen in his home. 
did uh, the DC madam ever tell you names, name names of politicians that were involved? Papa Nasi was paid $1 million by Lawrence yes, uh, King, we wrote a book together the main perpetrator the behind the Franklin scandal. He did tell me a number Had to pay Papa Nasi, the alleged crazy person, $1 million. Uh, some of the people he named were William Casey, who was this is up for uh, people to the, decide. Uh, CIA, and Donald Gregg, who was uh, George Herbert Walker Bush's. I was just responding to the Bush question for the podcast listeners. And also, it's just a book, though. No case to be taken to court. Come out, uh, this has all been litigated. Uh, Henry named these people. The grand jury and called this a hoax. Henry is the we cover that briefly, the first part DC of the show. Him on a 43 count Rico but not too in depth. Means that he was looking at approximately 300 years in prison. And the government said to him, There's been several books uh, on this. Okay, if you talk, we'll put you away for the rest of your life. But uh, if you keep your mouth shut, we'll only put you away for five years. So uh, Henry opted to not talk. And uh, it's kind of amazing at this point that he's willing to come out and. We wrote Confessions of the DC <clears throat> Madam together. All right. Awesome stuff right there. But I just want to go ahead and take a brief little aside right here. So earlier we saw a Paul Bonassi interview. And a lot of the Paul Bonassi videos that you see on the internet are by this gentleman named Gary Caradori. So Gary Caradori, we're going to take a quick little look at this video here it's only five minutes but he deserves a lot more attention he died in a plane crash with his son to his to a ball game in the midwest with all the files on board he was getting ready to go interview and talk to some more people to drop off these files and then he just dies in this plane crash he was a very experienced pilot but let's go ahead and take a look at this video let's see if there's anything to it We've got them. We've got the hard evidence. There's no way they can get out of it now. On July 11, 1990, at around 2.30 a.m., a farmer in Lee County, Illinois, witnessed a flash of light, an explosion, and a plane plunging to the ground. It was flown by Gary Caradori, who had his 8-year-old son, A.J., with him. Both Caradoris died, and the plane's wreckage was scattered for a mile. The official story is that it was an accident and that Gary had lost control of the plane, but many suspect foul play. Gary was the Senate-appointed investigator on the Omaha, Nebraska Franklin child abuse case. What was Gary investigating that put him in the crosshairs? A nationwide network of child abuse, Satanism, and murder within the corridors of power. The Franklin scandal was headline news in the late 1980s and early 90s. It centered around Lawrence E. King Jr., a rising star in the Republican Party and general manager of the Franklin Credit Union in Omaha. He began flaunting a lavish lifestyle, spending excessively on parties, jewelry, and houses, which caught the attention of the IRS. Subsequent investigations found that King had stolen $40 million from the credit union. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison for conspiracy, fraud, and filing false tax returns. But the investigations dug up even more sinister allegations. Young men and women were coming forward saying that they were victims of an underage sex trafficking network financed in part by Larry King. 
Nebraska State Senator Lauren Schmidt formed the Franklin Committee to investigate the claims. Gary Caradori led the investigation. He conducted several videotaped interviews with three alleged victims, Paul Benassi, Alicia Owen, and Troy Bonner. They told horrible stories about the abuse they suffered at King's parties, where inner circles of the rich and powerful indulged their perversions for sex, drugs, and even satanic rituals. They even said they witnessed the production of snuff films where children were actually murdered. They said these crimes were secretly videotaped in order to blackmail the influential perpetrators involved. The anonymous threats to investigators began almost immediately. Here's Senator Schmidt recounting one such threat. I received a phone call on the floor of the legislature. The caller did not identify himself, but he said, Lauren, you do not want to have an investigation of the Franklin Federal Credit Union. And I asked who I was speaking to, and they said, that doesn't matter, uh, but you shouldn't have that investigation. And I said, well, why not? He said, it will reach to the highest levels of the Republican Party. And we're both good Republicans. Caradori was also living in constant danger. On one such occasion, he caught someone trying to break into his home in an incident he thought was related to his work on the Franklin case. He expressed concerns on several occasions that his plane could easily be sabotaged. <laughs> That's awesome. And that may be exactly you, what KB. happened when he got too close to the truth. In the era of Epstein cover-ups, it's important to see that these cases may not be so isolated, and it might paint a bigger picture of a worldwide sickness plaguing our institutions. It's an established fact that hundreds of thousands of children are reported missing in the U.S. and U.K. every year. Many of them end up sex slaves in these types of human trafficking operations. As for the Franklin case, the courts eventually declared the allegations to be a, quote, carefully crafted hoax, and in a gross perversion of justice, 21-year-old Alicia Owen was indicted on eight counts of perjury and served four and a half years behind bars. Larry King served 10 of his 15 years, and upon release, he relocated to, where else? Washington, D.C. Information on him is scarce, and he doesn't even have Are a Wikipedia Are you fucking kidding page. me? In fact, the whole Franklin scandal is I barely an article this. on Wikipedia. Yeah. There's so much more to this story, and we encourage you to follow the links in the description to learn more. Be sure to check out the rough cut of the never-aired documentary Conspiracy of Silence. The film we was scheduled to this. premiere on the Discovery Tonight. Channel in the U.S. in 1994, but right was pulled this. last minute without explanation. Oh, what do you so think? Excited. Are the victim's stories about snuff films, satanic ritual abuse, and other crimes real? Or are they, as like the said, said, a carefully crafted hoax? And it's Let the us most know what you think up. in the comments below. Feel free to share any information you have on this. Okay, right on, right on. So we're going to take a little hard turn right here, right? We're going to definitely check out some more videos, but... We talked about earlier how throughout the years people have thought that Jeff, uh, that Johnny Gosh has come to Marine Gosh and might be this one individual. It's been rumored that he was this one gay male escort that came to prominence in the early 2000s. But just to give you guys some more backdrop, I mean... I want to show a couple of quick videos. Just look at my notes really quick of these call boy, you know, kind of news articles. And we're just playing back to back really quick. 
This is the Cowboy scandal versus the Franklin credit scandal. And if Washington doesn't have enough to talk about these days, the Washington Times reported today that unidentified White House aides in the Carter, Reagan, and Bush administrations now are being investigated for using the services of a callboy ring. June 29, 89, on this video, Tom Brokaw. The White House last year. The White House press secretary, Marlon Fitzwater, said he knew nothing of this investigation. NBC's Lisa Myers reports her sources in the U.S. Attorney's Office say the investigation is not focusing on prostitution, but on fraud involving the use of credit cards to pay for the callboy services. Here's the next video. Callboys still. Sources confirmed a Washington Times report today that DC police. I think technically, yes. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. They have included people connected to the Bush and Reagan administrations. Lefty Lucy told CBS News there is no. This is Zapruder Phillips stuff film. I say it's a fake government or military officials. All righty then. Man, I'm just trying to hit pause on this shit, but it's like, this is, it's all running away from me. So here we're taking a hard turn to Johnny Gosh, right? The mother claimed that throughout the years he came to him and then the, you know, we saw that call boy little quick couple of clips. You can't really get much information on that. As I said, there's still not very much information on this. You can't find this. It is it is Connie Chung. She was like a real journalist back in the day. Too bad we don't have him anymore. But yeah, th- this was a, like a really, really big story. And in the early 2000s, this guy named Jeff Gannon came to the limelight for like a good six months. He was on Bill Maher. He was hitting all the interviews, all this, denying how much he wasn't Johnny Gosh. I'm going to read this article really quick and then we'll watch a couple of videos. Gannon's identity question from September 14th, 2006. You notice everything we're watching is from September. Doesn't matter what year, whether it's like 82. 88 like all these articles and videos are from september so that tells you something about this time of the year mother kidnapped son asked former escort to undergo dna testing a 24 year old kidnapping case has been resurrected this is from the dallas voice and conspiracy breadcrumbs have been scattered in a million directions johnny gosh was one of the first missing kids featured on a milk carton he vanished while delivering newspapers in West Des Moines, Iowa, on September 5th, 1982. Last month, on October 27th, or August 27th, Gosh's mother, Noreen, found an envelope on her doorstep. It was Noreen's birthday, and she thought someone had left her a present. But the anonymous package contained two photos of young boys who were bound and gagged. Noreen believes one of the boys is Johnny wearing the same sweatpants he had on the day he vanished. National media attention about the new photos led to an anonymous tip in Florida that the photos were tied to an old investigation. Earlier this week, Nelson Zalva, an investigator for Florida State's attorney's office, said the photos Marine submitted are identical to uh, images that Zalva investigated in the late 70s prior to Gosh's disappearance. But the recent attention also revived an all-too-weird theory that's been circulating on the Internet. This is from 2006. Could former escort turned White House reporter Jeff Gaddon? Be Johnny Gosh. 
1999, Noreen testified in Omaha Federal Court during a case involving Lawrence E. King Jr. and the Franklin Credit Union scandal. King, who managed the Franklin Federal Credit Union in Nebraska and a prominent fundraiser for the GOP, pled guilty to embezzlement. During that investigation, King was alleged to have been involved in or the leader of a child sex group in Nebraska in the 80s. Noreen was testifying on behalf of Paul Bonazzi, a convicted child molester with multiple personality disorder who claims to have helped abduct Johnny. Bonazzi says he and Johnny were sex slaves for King, who allegedly read an infamous midnight, quote, call boy tour service of the White House. This prostitution scandal, nicknamed the Franklin Cover-Up, made the front pages of the Washington Times on June 29th, 1989. And right there, we'll leave it right that right there with the articles, right? I don't think we need these anymore. There's this leads list. Citizens. Oh my God. <laughs> KB got me stuttering because I'm buzzed on bourbon, but she says, sister September, all this alliteration is going nuts right now. KB, we got to stop that. We got to stop all this alliteration, but I can't wait till the watch party after where I could just like chat and be free and not have to talk and keep my energy. But let's go. Let's go ahead and keep this going. Is is Jeff Gannon Johnny Gosh? This is Fox News. Bo Deedle. These are some like old true crime like prosecutor people on Fox. It's ridiculous. Lefty Lucy says the Zapruder film has to be faked or else it would be illegal to publish it. All done to traumatize the people. I think his wife did it, dude. I think Jackie Kennedy kind of did it. Like some deep state shit. I don't know. Tell me if I'm crazy. That's like really dark. But I also had an ex girlfriend that kind of look look like a poor poor woman's version of her. Like not nearly as beautiful, but she thought she might have been. <laughs> That's kind of mean, but kind of mean but true. Hope you're not watching out there, Jasmine. <laughs> Hope you're not watching. She loves Jackie Kennedy. Welcome back, everyone. To the this Beatles shit is crazy. This shit is crazy, KB. This is a story 20 years in, 23 years in the making. Look how mad he gets show, defending. We told you about a missing Iowa boy, Johnny Gosh. He was kidnapped back in 1982. His mother, Noreen, was here to tell her side of the story. You are obsessed with the story, I know. Today, we have the man who may know what happened to little Johnny. Some claim that former White House reporter Jeff Gannon may actually be the missing boy. So right now, let's take a look back at how the story got started. Johnny Gosh vanished from his West Des Moines, Iowa neighborhood without a trace. The newspaper delivery boy was on his morning route when he disappeared. One theory, the boy was kidnapped, sexually abused, sold into a child sex slavery ring, and brainwashed by the CIA. Some claim Gosh was snatched for the Monarch Project, a government-sponsored mind and behavioral control program designed to create... I like John Kennedy. We'll just the say story that. then picks up in 2005. The internet was abuzz with word that former White House reporter Jeff Gannon may in fact be Johnny Gosh. The claim, based on similar body markings and a lack of information about Gannon's early years... We have looked into uh, some uh, records that came from Pennsylvania where uh, Mr. Gannon 
slash Guckert supposedly went to high school. Um, we've looked at photographs, and, and some of them match, some of them don't. There's, uh, there's several photographs that, that look strikingly like Johnny Gosh, and there are, there are some that don't even look like him at all. In February, Gannon was exposed. His name, actually James Guckert, a man with no journalism experience whatsoever, who had links to several gay escort services online. And joining us right now from JV, Florida, the man at the center this is of where the it gets good. We're looking at him. This is where it gets White good. Check Jeff this Gannon, out. Who watched our show and Bo's interview and wanted do. to come on it's and chat. It's by the worst, that, a cacistocracy. So, uh, Jeff, here's what Noreen Gosh said on our last show. Let's listen, and then I'm going to ask you to react. I do not know if Gannon is Johnny or not. Only a DNA test would provide that information conclusively. Jeff, one question for you. Let's get right to the point. Are you willing to take a DNA test and settle the controversy once and for all? Yes Absolutely. or no? Absolutely, I would definitely take a DNA test, but that isn't even necessary because there's so much evidence to uh, available to disprove these accusations. That's a yes, then. Well, you are well he's saying yes. My friend Jeff yeah, is saying yes. You know what? Yes. As a lawyer, I can, I can, smell, right. I can smell a no, 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 no. you so, got to understand something. My friend here, Jeff, who's come on our show today, didn't do anybody else's show, he's going to tell us the fact. Jeff, how old are you first off? I'm, I'm 48 years 48 old. 48 years old. My man Johnny Gashi there would be 35 years old. Lisa, Why the numbers... Why are you numbers, avoiding the question? No, 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 no. He just said, he just said, hey, Jeff, you said you would take a DNA. I could set this whole thing up, but let's get to the point. Let's get to the point. The point is, by giving a DNA sample, there could be opening up some other avenues of things that I kind of know that you possibly could be involved. And I don't knock it. Again, if you want to go suck on a Johnny Pump or whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, you could do in this world. But the point is, Why all we're here for, speak, all Let we're here speak. for is to show that my friend Jeff is not Johnny Gosh. Jeff? There are dozens of people who have known me most of my life that uh, could... Uh, Definitely vouch for the fact that I am not this person. Look, what happened to this this child and the, the suffering that his mother has endured is is a tragedy. But it's also uh, been very difficult for for me and my family, my real mother and, and, and members of my family who have had to uh, listen to these uh, fabrications being spread uh, in newspapers, on television and uh, on the Internet. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question, not Bo. Jeff, are you willing to take a DNA test? Yes or no? Yes uh, or no? Yes. When I cut my finger yesterday, there was plenty of DNA available. You should have stopped by. What else you want, Lisa? Are the you man? his lawyer? No, boy? excuse me. Let excuse me. He's my friend, my friend Jeff down there. Jeff, thank you for coming on the show again. You know what we're doing here? All this conspiracy stuff on the blogs, on all these national ambassador we're for to Bobby Kennedy's son. Again, again. I don't understand why, you know, and you've said that. Uh, you said that you feel sorry for no, her. No, I know what you mean. Uh, you feel sorry for her missing her son, and you wouldn't put her through if you were her son. You're you said you're 40. In his mouth, he says though. he's 40. Yeah. Let's hear from him. What did you think when you saw Noreen? Isn't this Gosh? weird? Isn't this in a weird, a weird I interview? I feel that, that this woman is being used by people who are trying to promote themselves as being investigators when they're not they're fabricators they're uh they've defamed me and put this woman through uh through unnecessary pain uh giving her hope where where it uh it doesn't exist jeff 
You tell them. And I'm going to tell you something right now, Jeff. If we, we want to shut everybody's mouths up, I'll arrange with you a little <laughs> DNA, give me a little blood, a little survive, saliva, whatever you want to do, and then we'll get a little from Noreen, and we'll see, and we'll show them it doesn't match. And then everyone will keep their mouths <laughs> Johnny shut Pump. you get on with your life. He calls because as far as I'm concerned, whatever you do in your Johnny life, it's not a crime involved, whatever you want to be involved with, I what don't a really care. What I care about is people making up <laughs> stories about other people and letting making you live now on the edge of your life. Here's my question. Like, Jeff, do people talk you like out that out there? What have For you real? Told her? I, I have so not funny. been in communication with this woman uh, because I can't uh, determine whether some of the emails I'm Johnny getting Gosh, are man. actually this woman or not. This there, is fucking there Johnny are Gosh. hundreds of people that are contacting me about this story. I have no idea who they are nameless, faceless people making wild accusations. Do you have a pen and paper? Because I can give you her phone number oh. right after the show. Bo, are you, you on know, a payroll? No, I'm not on a payroll. But when a guy is poor, you on a payroll? Choose, you got to stand up for, yes, for innocent people. Payroll. You're an attorney. You understand that, too. The man is going to give his oh, it's DNA. On the man is 48 years old. Johnny Gosh would be 35 years old. He looks 48 years old. I'm 54 years old. He looks Sorry, 48 Fox. years old. Why can't the guy be telling the truth? How about we talk about Gannon Gate? Jeff, are you on any type of payroll, White House, oh. Republican? Absolutely. Absolutely not. Never. Never. I have been in the past or or now. Can you understand why people would think that you're not always telling the truth? Your name isn't what you said it was. Then the liberal blogs come out and say that there's a different story. You resign. Not that there's anything wrong with it. But can you see that people may not know that you're telling the truth here? Well, I, I think uh, people who are listening to nameless, faceless people making accusations on the Internet, I'm sitting here in front of uh, your cameras <laughs> Lucky today Lucy to, says uh, he's to answer Italian. your questions. Where are these people? These people <laughs> hide behind screen names on the Internet. I'm here. <laughs> I'm willing to give the evidence and tell my side of the story. Frankly, I haven't had the opportunity <laughs> to tell my side of the story. Anytime that I've made appearances, people have. Uh, uh, protested my oh, appearance, tried to shout so me down. Good. I had to go six on one uh, two weeks ago right. at, at one event. Uh, it's it's my turn. Why don't people believe Jeff, me Jeff, as opposed to some of these other friend people? Bo, your friend Bo Dito believes you. I want to thank you very <laughs> your much friend for coming Bo on today and clearing this thing up. We'll do this thing. So this is really, okay. You guys must be out there saying like, this is good, but that has... That has to be all the talk about that guy, right? That was like the only thing they ever talked about that guy. That was like the only news story. No. No. This guy dominated the news cycle for a couple months back when I was in high school. Like, let's check it out. Bill Maher. There's a Bill Maher clip I have right here. Just pulled right up for you guys. And it's going to be beautiful. Let's check it out. And you won't believe it, but after... I have Joe Biden on Bill Maher talking about this dude. Like, we live in a clown world. We live in a simulation. Please stick around. Check out the America Unhinged podcast on Spotify, Kazakh Radio on YouTube, Kazakh Radio 33 on Twitch.tv. Let's check out this weird Bill Maher shit from Clint 525 Fuller. Right, let me go to Jeff Gannon. He was share. he was the White House correspondent for Talon News. This shit just gets weirder. It's known on JeffGannon.com. Please welcome, and we've been trying to get him here for a long time. Jeff Gannon, Jeff, how you doing? 
I'm doing great, Bill. How are you? I'm, I'm great. Thanks for the opportunity to be on the show. Thank you for being here. It's a brave thing to do because I know you've had some controversy in the past. We'll get to that. Let me ask you first. You saw President uh, Bush's news conference last night. You used to be in that press room. Uh, what, what did you think? Uh, what questions would you have asked? Well, I, I probably would have asked a question about uh, uh, border security. Uh, there's, we've got a terrible problem on the southern border, and uh, the uh, the Minuteman project that was just taking place there uh, last month was very. Oh shit! In, uh, Left Lucy says Jeff Q and on. I think that the president should have gotten behind it, and uh, he should be asked why. Why he hasn't been? So you would have asked him a tough question. <laughs> no, Absolutely, I've okay. asked lots of tough questions. Well, that's not your reputation. I mean, your reputation <laughs> was a guy who was in the press room and people can't quite figure out why the credentials of Talon News Service, no disrespect, were enough to put you in there. Why do you think of all the, I mean, that's one of the most exclusive clubs in the world, the 20 or 30 people who get to sit there and ask the leader of the free world a question directly. Why do you think you were selected for that? Well, there's uh, lots of people that have that opportunity uh, from various uh, news services. Look, I'm a, I'm a journalist, and I was able to uh, be in the room and ask the questions. But why among the thousands of journalists did they select you? I'm just asking. Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Um, well, tell the folks, w w put it in your own words. I don't want to put words in your mouth about uh, the controversy that uh, had you exiting the press room after you'd been there for a while. Well, uh, what had happened is uh, after two years, I had the opportunity to ask the president a question. And the question I asked to him, uh, some, uh, some liberals disagreed with. And uh, I became the news after that. And it was impossible for me to uh, continue to be a reporter because okay, I was the news. But why was it news? I mean, wasn't it news because uh, you had a, a job formerly as, a, as an escort uh, well, I've, uh, there's lots of allegations out there about uh, uh, things in my past. And, uh, you know, none of it's relevant as far as my reporting goes. Well, okay. Well, it, it may not be relevant. But I'm, I'm just saying, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to the Bill Clinton White House. Um, I didn't think it mattered that Bill Clinton uh, and Monica Lewinsky were having an affair. I didn't think it mattered what went on in the White House. Uh, but they made a big case of the fact that there were a lot of visits. Okay, we know, we know how that's how you feel. Thank you. Uh, but it came out this week, the Freedom of Information request was uh, granted, and you made three dozen visits, apparently, to the White House at times when there were no press briefings going on. On 14 occasions, the Secret Service has no record of your entry and exit times. Uh, what were you doing in the White House? But There's stuff. lots of things that go on at the White House when there aren't briefings. I've been to briefings with other administration officials, Condoleezza Rice, Alberto Gonzalez, uh, Andy Card, Dan Bartlett. Uh, I've gone down to uh, the T-ball games on the South Lawn on Sunday afternoons in the summer. A lot of times I would go down to uh, meet the, uh, the president, when he returned from a, uh, from a trip and stand along the rope line trying to shout a question at him, that's what reporters do. So all these times that you were at the White House when there was no press briefing going on, that's what I, you were doing? I was, I was being a reporter. Okay. So 
So you would say here on the show tonight that there was nothing else going on, that you were never engaged in any sort of personal business at the White House with anyone who worked at the White House? Absolutely, unequivocally not. Okay. Um, well, let's move on to your website, hotmilitarystud.com. <laughs> Whoa! I, I, <laughs> well, I'm just saying... <laughs> Shake it like I, a salt shaker. It says no. you wrote, "I don't leave marks, only impressions." Um, oh. I'm just saying, if the white, if the Clinton White House, if this had happened during the Clinton wow. White House, if there was someone who had this in his past, who was now working in the Clinton White House with rather dubious credentials under a false name. Don't you think they would have made a bigger thing of it under a Democratic administration? Don't you think the Republicans would have been? A- Stop it! Oh, you think the Republicans would have been all over that? Well, I, I don't know the answer to that, but usually the way it works See how the is, narratives uh, flip now. It's everybody. It's across all political ah. lines. <laughs> Touche, Mr. Jeff Gannon. Um, okay, I understand that uh, I'm going. I'm going to leave on a red eye right after the show to go to the White House Correspondents Center. I finally got invited, I, I, and I understand you didn't, and I think that's a shame. Why aren't you going this year? Well, I, I didn't get invited. Uh, I think everybody assumes that I'm going to be there anyway. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was hoping that uh, somebody would uh, look at me and say, well, this is a guy who's brought more attention to the White House press corps than they've had in decades. He should definitely be at the dinner. But uh, that didn't happen. Well, I would take you myself, but I'm already the date of Wolf Blitzer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Jeff. I appreciate that. Bill, thanks so much. Okay. It was great to be on your show. All right. So we're heading into the tail end of this. We got about, I want to try to make this all wrapped up within the next 15 minutes so we get to the watch party on time. Remember, right after this, we're going to watch Conspiracy of Silence. No commentary by me. Quick intro, hit the play, let the video show. But right here, we're going to get into the last Bill Maher bit. There's another Bill Maher bit dominating the news cycle. This featured Joe Biden and Robin Williams in the same segment. I cannot, I'm not shitting you. You're going to see Robin Williams and Joe Biden in the same segment discussing Jeff Gannon. And in a very tangential way, everything we talked about tonight. But please give it that like, comment, share, subscribe. America Unhinged Podcast, I appreciate all you followers. I realize I've slacked on there recently, but please forgive me. Let's check this out. This is the last little 10, 15 minutes or so. Now, I don't want to uh, talk a lot about this Jeff Gannon thing because Lord knows. But don't go crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I get no joy out of saying the White House has ties to gay prostitution. (laughs) All right, I guess I I get a little joy out of it. But let me ask, fellas, seriously, you. Carl, are you awake? Carl, open the door. Yeah. <laughs> what is it? I mean, now we have two Washington insiders from either. Insiders, not a word you use right now. <laughs> I want to just ask this question: If this was the Clinton White House and this story broke, tell me a angry mob with torches would not be involved. <laughs> 
Why do the Republicans get a pass on this stuff when you so know weird, right? this is impeachable How? with the other party? This is kind of not true, the but... The press. was the narrative at the time. Training. I guess uh, as, as the Democrat here, and I, you can totally dissociate. We're friends, but for the purposes of this show, you can pretend I hate him, but I really like him. Uh, yeah, the, uh, okay. The bottom line is that why isn't every major network in the country investigating a security breach? Forget anything else. Right. How could the FBI, for 17 years, I was chairman of the Judiciary Committee, the ranking member. I read more FBI reports than ever wanted to know. How could that happen? And no one had any idea who this guy was. Forget any for the, everything else. Assume he went in there and he was a saint. How could that be? We should know that. There should be. The Judiciary Committee of the United States Senate should mm-hmm. be investigating it. The House Judiciary Committee should be investigating it. And if it were the other party in charge, it would be investigated. Sounds like you've got your work cut out for you when you get back to Washington. But by the way... <laughs> But by the way, one of the problems with one of the problems with there being not a single fora available is that you can't call a hearing. I can't. I'm in the judiciary. I can't go back and call a hearing. Only the chairman of the committee can call a hearing. Right. So. All right. All right. Moving so on. What's his nickname? Did he have a uh, bulldog? Saying? Bulldog. I'm not. Wow. I've never heard that one in the gay community. <laughs> <laughs> what are you into? <laughs> well, <laughs> and I'm not... it wasn't gung ho or something. No, but I'm not. But he had websites under the names. So if they did a background check, look under primalrear.com. <laughs> yeah, you can almost not <laughs> yes, I can. get a joke on this. Hotmilitarystud.com yeah, people... is one of them. Need semen? Call 588 Military escorts, M4M. M4M. I don't know what that... I'm just going to pause really quick. Like, how fucked up would it be if that was really Johnny Gosh? Just sit there and think about that, especially you folks in the America Unhinged podcast are used to like the political, social, cultural aspects of this. Think about that. If this was actually true, you were the victim of the international pedophile ring and they're just demeaning you on mainstream media and they're calling it a Republican conspiracy. Would you be okay with it? Is that fair? That's so fucked up. It's really fucked up. I think that means to you no. rear guard action. Okay, great. Conservativeguy.com. I Whoa. Mean, I mean, the, the, this is, we're not making this up. Uptight, up. better late than never. Call now. Too <laughs> late. <laughs> and the president is there reacting to it. Yeah, not, not my biggest, uh, not my favorite video tonight. Obviously, none of these videos are no, like, I don't wanna... could ever be like, Considered your favorite. Whenever you're doing conspiracies and deep state stuff, it's always a real, um, it's always a real trial and tribulations. And there's this poor mother, Noreen Gosh, called a weirdo so many times throughout the media these last 40 years. I mean, we're hitting on like what? How long has it been? 1982, 39 years. I have a couple of videos on here just kind of commemorating the disappearance of Johnny Gosh. Try to bring this all home on how these international conspiracies 
can actually reach the you know the worldly it's not all like a metaphysical spiritual idea or like not like these things don't happen to people they very much happen to people and sometimes you're that one pawn that's caught up in this bullshit and it's really hard and disgusting but we'll go ahead and listen to this video from Noreen Gosh from 2016. Wait, no, 2012. I'm this sorry. February 1st, 2012. What it what would have been Johnny's 41st birthday. I'm sorry if I'm getting more illiterate as like we go. Happened in West Moines, Iowa. But it did. A 12-year-old boy on his paper route vanishes without a trace. Tomorrow, he would have turned 41 years old. The kidnapping of Johnny Gosh robbed the Metro of its innocence. Children were afraid to go out. Parents watched their every move. Johnny has never been found. Channel 13's Aaron Brillback talks with his mother as she prepares to cope with another birthday without her son. It's a kidnapping that would shock an entire community and forever change the way that parents watch their children. A 12-year-old paper boy, while doing his paper route along this quiet West Des Moines street, disappears without a trace. Tomorrow, Johnny Gosh would have turned 41 years old. It's every parent's worst nightmare. A child vanishes without a trace. Well, that's what happened to Johnny Gosh in the early morning hours of September 5, 1982. Johnny usually delivered papers with his father, but on that date, he went on his own to surprise his dad. Witnesses say he was approached by a man driving a blue Ford Fairmont like this one. Less than an hour later... He was gone. Neighbors called Johnny's parents when their papers didn't arrive. His father went to check it out. Johnny's dad came back to the house and said, call the police right away. Johnny's wagon sitting up at the corner. Papers are still there. He hasn't delivered one. Something's dreadfully wrong. Noreen Gosh called the police and then spoke with several of the other paper boys who last saw Johnny. They told her about the car and about the driver who approached them. The guy shut off his engine opened the passenger door, and swung his feet out on the curb, right where the boys were assembling their newspapers. And he started talking about, where's 86th Street? Blah, blah, blah. Johnny turned to Mike and said, I've got my papers loaded in the wagon. I'm scared. I am getting out of here. I'm going to head home. As Johnny left, the other paper boys told Johnny's mother the driver of the car took off too. The man pulled the door shut started up the engine, but before he left, he reached up and he flicked the dome light three times in the car. Then he pulled out and left. Gosh believes the driver was signaling another person who later grabbed Johnny. She says one of the paper boys saw a tall man come out from in between two houses and then follow Johnny. Gosh hired an artist to draw up this sketch of the driver based on witness accounts. Police began scouring the area but hit one wall after another. So they went ahead and, and called in the command uh, staff, the troops. They called detectives, reserves, contact Polk County Sheriff's Office, the uh, state patrol. At that point, then they did a door-to-door -door canvas of that neighborhood, trying to find someone who saw something of Johnny, saw anything at all, but uh, nothing was found. Days turned to months and then years, and still no sign of Johnny Gosh. Police tracked so many leads, they have several full filing cabinets just dedicated to this case. Then, years after the disappearance, someone left an envelope with three disturbing photos of several boys all tied up on Noreen Gosh's front doorstep. One of the boys appeared to be Johnny. I literally could not breathe. 
I could not get my breath. I was so totally unprepared to see something like that. All these years had gone by, and here was this picture. Gosh brought the pictures to the West Des Moines Police Department. When I did, we spread them out, and the detective kept saying, that's Johnny, that's Johnny. I said, I know that's Johnny. The press went wild, with Gosh's story reported all over the country. Then West Des Moines police called her to tell her they were planning a press conference of their own to say the pictures were not of Johnny after all. I said, that picture is Johnny. And the detective said to me, well, somebody from Florida called us and said that he used to be uh, an investigator and uh, he remembered this picture, these pictures from a case in 1970-something. And I said, has he provided you any evidence? Well, no, we just have his phone call. And I said, based on that phone call, you're going to do a press conference and say that this, this picture is not Johnny. He said, well, yes, I am. To this day, Gosh believes this is a picture of her son, bound and gagged and abused by pedophiles. Police insist it's not. We found out where the photos were taken, talked to investigators in Florida, and they were able to identify all the kids in that picture, and it, uh, they weren't Johnny Gosh. Since the disappearance, Gosh has dedicated her life to finding her son's abductors and raising awareness about kidnapping and human trafficking. She has lobbied to change laws and improve child safety. Johnny was even one of the first children to appear on a missing kid's milk carton. And the things that are good is the awareness that this has brought. This case changed the country. It was the watershed case. Police believe the only real break in the case will come when Johnny's remains are found. They doubt he's still alive. In the ideal world, he's alive and he comes home and everybody's happy. But in the real world, more than likely, you know, our best lead will come when, you know, his body is found. At that point, then it becomes a crime scene. and There's new evidence that we can look at. Um, again, as a parent, I, I, don't, I don't know what Miss Gosh is, is going through. And I don't know, you know, maybe that statement I just made is, is kind of harsh. But in that's reality, that would be more than likely what, what will happen. But with her son's 41st birthday here, she prefers to believe that he's still alive and often thinks about what his life would have been like if it hadn't been for that fateful day in 1982. He would have gone on, probably found the love of his life, maybe, and hopefully settled down, had a family, an interesting career. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Older siblings. You'd want the very best. Get ready for the Conspiracy of Silence Um, watch party. The sadness is that that was all robbed from him. And those years are missing. Less than five minutes from now. 12 years old for us. Same channel. Different stream. It's Aaron Brilbeck reporting. West Des Moines police are hoping that if anyone remembers seeing anything unusual the day Johnny Gosh disappeared, they will call investigators. Okay. I want to watch one more video right here just to give a little sign off. Thank you guys so much for joining me this evening on Cosmic Radio on YouTube. Please give me that like, comment, share, subscribe. I just lost my channel two or three weeks ago. Got 133 subscribers wiped out. You know, I'm at 14 or so. I really appreciate y'all. Y'all are really being proactive and getting the message out there. But we got one more video right here. And this is an anniversary type video. Let's go ahead and see. I don't know exactly when it's from, but this is in honor of Johnny Gosh. This is from 2019, September 5th. (laughs) Like I said, always September, right? Like really fucking weird. 
And then right after this, we'll get into the watch party. Conspiracy of Silence watch party banned in the United States, pieced together only through digital and VHS restoration. I found a copy on documentaryheaven.com, and we will watch it right after this. This is the last thing that Johnny touched. It is what John found when Johnny hadn't delivered his papers. Des Moines realtor Ron Sampson is the caretaker of an important piece of central Iowa history, a wooden red wagon that belonged to Johnny Gosh. Think of the significance of that wagon. I mean, I'm getting the chill sitting here and it's 105 degrees. It's the same wagon Gosh left behind in West Des Moines the Sunday morning he vanished without a trace. The wagon full of newspapers along with scattered rubber bands on a suburban sidewalk. Despite national media attention, books, and countless news stories, police never solved the crime. It's one of the most infamous cold cases in Iowa history. Too many people today don't know that story. So Sampson, who was storing the wagon for Johnny's father, decided to find a place to display the wagon. The Iowa State Patrol said yes. It's, you know, it's a very somber thing. Mark Logston was a West Des Moines teenager when he volunteered to search the suburb for the missing paper boy back in 1982. I certainly understand the pain and, and uh, uh, angst that goes with with never having any kind of closure to this case. Now the Iowa State Patrol captain has agreed to display the wagon and its history at the patrol spot inside the grandstand at the Iowa State Fair. One would really hope that that would cause someone to maybe have information in this case that would be able to be of use. Logston and Sampson will never forget the day Gosh disappeared. They want to make sure the rest of Iowa doesn't forget either. Anybody who sees that at the fair, whether they know the story or not, if they don't get the chills or get choked up, they better check their pulse. And with that, I'd like to end this presentation on Kazakh Radio. Please subscribe to the YouTube, like, comment, share, subscribe, tell your friends about it. It's also going to be on the American Hinge podcast on Spotify starting tomorrow. Got to download it. You know, I got work tomorrow and I work like a nine to five every day and I do my best, but I'll get this podcast up over the weekend if you want to listen to it on the audio and we're getting ready for the watch party right now. Thank you so much. Have a good evening.